Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Our panel is light today. Uh, Jorna Taylor, it's a busy week for Jorna, Pride Fest here in Milwaukee. It's happening and as everybody knows, Jorna is uh, central in, in that operation. But she also had a little uh, injury today with her horse. We hope Jorna will join us later in the podcast to talk a little bit about her good friend Paul Ryan. Uh, in Pride Fest, but uh, that'll be later on. But we have Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action, with us this week. Robert, good to have you. Good day, everyone. So summer has started here in Wisconsin. It's going to be a hot, hot and humid weekend. And uh, healthcare is heating up behind the scenes. And there was some news last week uh, with our Senator Ron Johnson, uh, and it broke after we recorded the show last week, so we wanted to spend some time talking about it, and that is Senator Ron Johnson, Robert, seemed to uh, state in one of his comments that he is very much open to uh, looking at the current uh, ban on pre-existing condition, condition discrimination in the Affordable Care Act, and actually he is not like some of the other Republicans who are out there saying that they don't want to touch or mess with pre-existing conditions for all the reasons we've talked about it being a absolutely critical issue, but not so with Senator Johnson. This seems a bit disturbing given he seems to be trying to put himself at the center of the behind-the-doors discussions around what the Senate's going to do on repeal and replace. Yeah, so he was not originally part of the group of senators that's uh, secretly deciding what the health care bill is going to be which is the biggest threat right now, because if it's agreed to by the Senate, I don't, I don't put it past the Freedom Caucus just to rubber stamp it. And it's interesting what his comments reflect. He says that other Republican senators don't want to touch pre-existing conditions, referring to what the House did, which is allowing states to do waivers that would be devastating, like Governor Walker indicated an interest in doing. Uh, so he's saying that they don't think we should touch it, but he does. He disagrees, so they should touch pre-existing conditions. Is he talking? He, is it real? I'm sorry to interrupt, but is he talking about, say, like in the Senate, Olympia Snow, or the more moderates, or do you think he's talking about the House and just Republicans in general, and that they want to kick it to the states? Is that? It could be either. It really could be senators in the work group yep. as well, but it could. Olympia Snow is not there anymore, but it could be it's Susan Collins. Susan Collins, I, I uh, the other main moderate, and so. The other ones who are swingy votes, most of them are on the work group. So the only one not that she could be talking about is Susan Collins, but he seemed to refer to senators, okay? And yep. a number of them have publicly opposed what the House did, okay? Yep. A number of the votes that, uh, that McConnell's worried about getting. And the, he also said that the main reason premiums had gone up on the Affordable Care Act was allowing people to buy coverage with pre-existing conditions, okay? So that is his theory of the case, which is really important to think about. It means literally that he thinks the problem is sick people and that we'd have really cheap insurance if we only have healthy people in it, okay? Because a quarter of the Wisconsin population, about 825,000 people, I think 850,000 actually, but in the 800s, have a pre-existing condition that would have gotten them denied coverage or charge a discriminatory rate uh, in the old bad old discriminatory system before the Affordable Care Act. So there's that. And then there's the other history. We once had a whole program, that, I mean, at least the top of our program, about Johnson's comments during the election. I think it was the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Editorial Board, where he said that when he was in business, that they used to laser out 
the people in his business who had pre-existing conditions. We called him the laser cat, you may recall. Yes, that was Jordan's line. And that made their insurance cheaper. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel coverage of this, which was, you know, uh, needlessly nice, said, maybe the senator probably was mistaken because that wouldn't have been legal to do that, and said that in the back of a story. Uh, we'd actually showed the senator had no idea what he was but, talking about, well, but Robert, he was presenting himself as an employer who understood health care. So there's some background to this, but if they want, if he would have walked walk them up to the pre-existing condition discrimination plank, then, then we hope he does it because it makes it even harder for this thing to pass. Your uh, reference to the laser cats reminds me to the image that week. Uh, that was a favorite of Brian and I's. I believe we took the uh, Saturday Night Live laser cats and <laughs> had some fun with uh, Senator Johnson. But so back to the, the seriousness of this, um, Robert, there's been some discussion about these the high risk pools and sort of floating this idea that there's a very small group of people that are actually responsible for like half of the costs. And do you believe from a policy uh, standpoint that maybe Senator Johnson is previewing some type of compromise where uh, it's a certain type of pre-existing condition that they throw into HERSP and they throw this money around and then everybody else is in or some, some type of pre-existing uh, laxing of the ban uh, hybrid. I don't know if this makes any sense, but because um, we're seeing these these numbers that they keep floating about. There's just, oh, it's just these 50 people that are causing like 40% of the costs. So I, that right away makes me think, oh, they want to maybe try to figure a way to cut these folks out. And, and, and maybe that's a way they can square the circle and come up with something that still looks a lot kind of like the Affordable Care Act, but they can say they've essentially come up with something different. Well, before I, I'm not going to be the typical progressive and jump right into the policy, but I'm a progressive, so I'll get there. Um, just on a kind of messaging, public opinion point of view, people think it's a violation of fundamental rights to face discrimination if you're, if you're sick or you've been sick, right? And so this, we're just going to discriminate against some people and put them off to the side. It ain't gonna, isn't great messaging, ain't going to work, okay? And we're going to have this something complicated called high-risk pool that you're supposed to feel all, it actually sounds risky, doesn't it, a high-risk <laughs> pool? So just saying that this is not, we, we, we don't, we, progressives don't get too caught up on all the policy because it's bad messaging with the public regardless of the policy. Oh, but you should just wrap your arms around HERSP. Right. But, regard, but let's talk about the policy. Yeah, you could put people to the side, and then you'd have to pay for it, and that's what they're not doing because their whole their whole goal here is to take trillion dollars out of the healthcare system and put into large tax cuts. So they're not paying for the high risk pool they, at, the, at the level you would need to. And by the way, there have been very good analyses by the Center for American Progress and by the Commonwealth Fund that show you'd have to spend. 20 times more than they're spending, roughly, just to cover 5% of people. I remember 25% of pre-existing conditions that would cause discrimination. So the whole thing's a joke because they're not serious about it. Uh, so it's a question of, do you want to have everyone in the system and have everyone pay a little bit more for the sicker people and then use the system to, uh, to, to increase prevention, uh, uh, chronic disease care, to reduce costs? Or do you want to have a massive federal expenditure of hundreds of billions of dollars, or like they do, do you want to lie about what you're doing and claim you're covering everyone when you're not? 
uh, which is what this is about, because they're not willing to fund their own alleged solution. So we want to remind our listeners that it is still our analysis that this will be decided behind closed doors. If they actually come to an agreement, it will come out. It will move quickly. So it is very important that you contact Senator Johnson's office, um, even particularly in response to these comments uh, around pre-existing conditions. And, oh, there's only about 800,000 pl uh, plus of you here in Wisconsin who uh, meet that requirement. You should give them a call, 202 224 53 Two, three. Let's blow and, up Senator Johnson's and office. And let me add this. We are not saying that Senator Johnson will ever vote against a bill that comes out. In fact, most people think if a bill is put on the floor by McConnell that he has the votes and it's going to pass. What we are saying is the more pressure that goes on every senator, the harder they're going to have getting an agreement, never putting a bill on the floor. And so all the pressure on everyone, even Johnson, is helpful. The fact Johnson's difficult in the negotiations is helpful to us whether he would ever vote for the right position ever. So, Robert, before we go to break, I really want to get your comments uh, this week about uh, Scott Walker and his connection to health care. Um, we've talked in the, in the past about his desire now to drug test uh, Medicaid enrollees. Uh, well, this plan was submitted this week. We're the first state to do that. Um, but what's also interesting news beyond Scott Walker is we've talked about Representative John Nigren uh, before, particularly as it relates to his effort around going after um, uh, heroin and drug addiction. He's been someone on the Republican side who's actually talked about it as a health issue. But this week he came out in strong support, if I'm, if, or in support of Walker's drug testing plan, which d obviously is not a health scientific approach. Right. It, no medical experts, not, uh, not the majority of them. There might be some crank somewhere, but that's not being proposed by medical experts, by the science. It's red meat for the right to blame poor people for supposedly failing to work. He taught as a work requirement where the able-bodied would work, as if we're in manual labor world where they're going to just, uh, if they're able-bodied, you know, uh, split rails. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it, it, nothing to do with other reasons people couldn't work. So, and then even Walker's on the defensive on this, claiming that on Fox News that he is looking at public health, and this is to help people, and that's the way Nigren talked about it. And we'll have more to say about this, but I think a lot of pressure needs to put on Walker and Nigren because this is a sleazy political stunt that sets us back uh, in terms of understanding poverty and understanding why people um, ha have drug addiction and also plays on stereotypes that somehow low-income people are more likely uh, to be addicted. They're not. We've got to get out of here. We've got to take a break. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what you can do if you want to help get more active, actually, in the resistance on what's going on on health care, but also how we can actually start pushing forward and make things better, even in this troubling time as we go forward. So we got to get out of here. We'll be right back. So welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, you can find us. We are Citizen Action at citizenactionwi.org. Uh, we need to talk more about health care. Before the break, we were talking about what's been going on uh, both in Washington as it relates to the House or the Senate attempting to uh, piece together a health care bill, but also uh, Governor Walker's drug testing. We want to spend some time this hour talking about what you can do 
if you want to get more active here at Citizen Action in the healthcare fight. Um, we have talked a bit here before about our organizing cooperatives that we have around the state. We now have cooperatives in Milwaukee, Eau Claire, Wausau, Arias, uh, Green Bay, Appleton. And we have a new model that we want to tell you more about, and that is a healthcare cooperative. And the idea here is to try to get people together and uh, build a group that is willing to work on healthcare and not just defensively, but also what the solutions are. And so today we have the new organizer, the here, the new, mo the new, <laughs> the new model uh, here at Citizen Action, uh, who is helping lead this effort. And we're super excited to have uh, Katie Dunn. Katie uh, joins us from Colorado. Katie, thanks for uh, joining us here on the podcast. Why don't you? Uh, First, tell us a little bit more about yourself, and then uh, tell us a little bit about the new co-op that you're leading. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on this morning. Um, I definitely didn't just walk in the office, and you politely suggest that I do the podcast. Well, just uh, so you know, that's how just about every guest <laughs> finds out they're going to be on the podcast. I love Maybe it. Maybe Wednesday if you're it. lucky. Uh, wonderful. Um, yeah, so I am coming from the great state of Colorado. We were blue this past presidential election. Um, very proud of the work that we did there. I was actually part of the consultant class. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Does Robert know about this? I don't know. Uh, how'd you get through the screening process? No. Know. We <laughs> are plenty of good consultants. <laughs> <laughs> We're only against the bad ones. <laughs> So, uh, so I was yes. a good consultant, so I uh, <laughs> worked for a very small lobbying firm that uh, represented a whole bunch of progressive organizations at the state capitol. Um, moved up here to Wisconsin because my wife is originally from here, got a job, and I am thrilled to be here. Well, we're really glad to have you because we think this project's super exciting, this idea that we could take this cooperative model and bring it to an issue as critical as healthcare. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about what the Healthcare for All uh, co-op is and, uh, and why they need to get involved. Sure. Um, my first couple of weeks on the job, I have been able to meet some of the most awesome people, and they are our co-op members already, and they are reaching out to their networks to bring more people in. So just to give you a snapshot, um, you know, it's doctors, it's primary care providers, it's, um, you know, big hospital administrators, nurses, therapists, psychiatrists, all folks who are experts in their experience with the healthcare system and patients and other folks who have family members who, you know, lives are on the line with these with these issues. Who are experts in their own right, the patients, right? Yes, because yes. the other side of the system. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I've been meeting with all these incredible people who have really important things to say, but when you're out on your own and you're working for a large provider network or a hospital, you know, your voice gets quashed a lot. So this model really gives folks an opportunity to come together. We're aiming for 280 members. Uh, we're at 90 right now uh, to come together and really have a strong, powerful and sustainable voice uh, on all of these healthcare issues. So I believe, if I'm correct, uh, this is also in partnership with the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, who's, I think a lot of our listeners know, is a really trusted union of health, health professionals. I, now, if I'm correct, they're a deeply part of this. Absolutely. Um, I have had the pleasure of meeting with Candace and Jamie over there. Uh, they were the ones So that's the president of the union, Candace Owley, and the executive director, Jamie Lucas, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, they are incredible. They, were, they made it possible for me to go ahead and come on board, even though we haven't hit the full 280 yet. Um, 
I mean, who doesn't like nurses? <laughs> It's a good point. They are some of the most popular uh, professionals out there. So it's uh, now, I, if I'm correct, we have a big event coming up next week or in two weeks. Or is it next? It's next already week. next week. It's already next, next week. week. Well, what, how, how good that I had you on yes, yes. when you it walked in this planned. morning. So tell our listeners more and why they absolutely need to be there. Yeah. Um, so the event, just to go ahead and give you the details, is Thursday, June 15th, which is next week. It's going to start at 6.30, um, and the address is 1717 North 73rd Street. Of course, you can always check out our Facebook page. It has the event as well as our website for those details. Um, this is going to be, you know, we've been kind of laying the groundwork for this co-op since January. And by we, I mean all the great folks who have been working on this before I even came in the door. And now we're at this exciting point that we are going to accelerate and go full force. And so we're asking folks to come out. Um, this is the big kickoff event, the big membership drive. I have 60 days to get uh, my members on board to get the 280 folks signed up. Um, and we're also going to be, you know, what I really like about this model is it's not just, you know, the administrative part and the organizing part, but it's also action around issues. So we're going to be planning uh, what to do about, you know, this AHCA vote that's going to happen this month, um, along with the Walker stuff that you all have discussed with Medicaid and take some action, make a difference. So let me let me ask uh, one other thing, um, and I've been a lot of the meetings with these doctors and medical professionals. What's interesting is, first of all, in in healthcare they have tremendous credibility, and so if they're lined up for real changing the system, and we're looking for system change here, then that's hugely important. So progressive advocacy and patience is critical, but this is another kind of firepower, right? And it's much harder for the opposition to uh, to oppose them. The second thing is they don't just want to keep the Affordable Care Act. I mean, there is some diversity of opinion. They want to move towards right. a universal system with health care as a human right. And I know we made, a, before you got here, we made a run on that 2007, got a bill through the uh, state Senate that held the budget up for a couple months. But we didn't have this kind of coalition of doctors and nurses and other health professionals to lead it and an organizer just paid for by them and by patients who want to work with them on creating, a, you know, creating healthcare as a human right in this country. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I think, what's exciting is not only are we trying to defend Obamacare um, and also identify how the Republicans have sabotaged it and got us to the place that there are bald spots in the country, but moving forward towards single payer. I actually, one of my meetings sat down and somebody took me through the whole billing process uh, and, you know, she could probably construct legislation Glad herself. Glad back to work the next day. Yeah. <laughs> Or it's the famous charge master, right? Yes. Wh which is, shall we say, even more bizarre than than the prototypical Persian rug bazaar. So the Persian rug sales folks are actually much more straightforward about their pricing than American it's health systems. Crazy. <laughs> so, let if folks want to come on Wednesday, Thursday, what, what, Thursday, excuse me, Thursday. <laughs> I heard that. Uh, no, so if, if folks want to come Are you going to be there, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am actually planning on being there, Good of course. organizing, get a commitment. So, <laughs> commitment made. Um, so, Robert, you mentioned, and, and Katie, you mentioned that there's a lot of folks that are medical professionals, but say you're not a medical professional. You're just someone who's really tired of the system. We just talked about uh, in the previous uh, uh, segment what's going on. 
how do they fit in, right? If you're just a regular activist, I assume we want everyone to come. And, and, and if you know anyone who cares deeply about healthcare, they should be at this event, right? They should be involved because particularly, Robert mentioned single payer, right? We need to start going on the offensive, and this is exactly the kind of group that's going to help figure that out and work to make that happen, right? I mean, yeah, and I, I think a lot of folks are kind of facing burnout right now. I think a lot of people got activated once Trump was elected and signed up mm-hmm. uh, for you know fifty different email lists. I know I did, um, and are now kind of hitting a wall of you know wh- you know what is even going on with this Russia stuff, and it feels like everything that we do is getting thwarted. Um, although there have been important wins. And I think now's a really key time to bring people together in this co-op model and show that we are going to be sustainable and we are going to be um, have different stakeholders, you know, doctors to activists uh, to really keep each other going and keep each other accountable. And let me just add that from a power standpoint, it needs mm-hmm. to be all of the above. If it was just medical professionals, since a lot of medical professionals that are with us feel like they work for big employers and they should keep their heads down, right? And they're not, a lot of them aren't naturally political because you're really talking about uh, potentially talking against the position of your own employer, right? And so they're much stronger, these ones who are willing to come forward, and there are more of them. That's partly why this, the co-op is being developed, because there are more and more doctors and nurses and psychiatrists and other health professionals, community health workers are part of this, mm-hmm. that are fed up. And community health workers could do a lot to lower health care costs by people keep, keeping people healthy, right? And so they need a lot of other people, patients and other citizens, with them at their back to be effective. Otherwise, they just look like some small segment of, of, of cranky health professionals. And these aren't cranky people. These are like, we have health professionals in here who are major well-known people that are, that are, that are famous in the community that politicians will listen to. So I want to be clear. Yeah. I'm the cranky one in the group. But more of us that work with them, this is, this is a movement. You don't change a huge structure, a huge system this way. We don't want to necessarily just have ridiculous protests that just raise our fists in the air. There may be a point, there's a point at some point for direct action, just like there was in the civil rights movement, right? But we're looking for serious strategy to change the system and put pressure on it by the only way you really can, and that is people acting like true full citizens and using our democracy. Well, I want to thank you, first of all, for choosing to move from Colorado and uh, working here at Citizen Action. Uh, And then, of course, choosing to come on the podcast today and tell everybody about this amazing cooperative. Vacation again and and time and everything. So again, the uh, event is Thursday, June 15th at 6.30 p.m., and the address is 1717 North 73rd Street. Uh, the Unity Church is letting us use their facilities, so thank you to them. So what if uh, I'm a listener and I'm like, uh, I'm, this is amazing. I can't wait. I want to find out more, and I want to contact you right away. What's the best way to get in touch with you today while I'm listening to this and I just got super excited, and I'm like, oh, my God, i got to reach out to Katie. So the best way to get in touch with me is my phone number, which is 262 227 4212. You can call or text me. I'm a millennial, so I'm all about the texting. You heard it. There you go. So yeah, if you're super excited, don't wait till next Thursday to, to just come. Feel free to reach out and, and find out a little bit more about the co-op, how you can get involved uh, right away. So uh, please do that. Well, thank you so much again for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, we'll be right back. So welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. 
Again, we're Citizen Action, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And uh, we're going to spend some time uh, back talking about some federal issues, and uh, namely, we want to talk about the deregulation of Wall Street. We've talked extensively on the podcast about, uh, in particular, the payday lenders. Uh, we, we, we like to call them the loan sharks, uh, and our efforts to try to get greater regulation of, the, of uh, not only them, but their but, but Wall Street and the banks. And unfortunately, uh, today, uh, we record on Thursday, uh, there's a bill going through the House called the Choice Act. And this is a, a large effort to, to essentially deregulate Wall Street and in particular go after some of the key features of Dodd-Frank that helped regulate the industry. And so we have a special guest with us to talk a little bit more about the Choice Act, and that is Liz Ryan Murray. Liz is the policy director at our new national network, People's Action, and People's Action has worked extensively on uh, trying to regulate Wall Street. So, Liz, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Great to be here. Hi, Matt. Well, awesome. I really appreciate it. Unfortunately, uh, in this uh, time of Trump, there's a lot of uh, negative things going on, and the Choice Act definitely meets that. So, What's the top lines of uh, what the Choice Act does and, and why folks uh, should be deeply concerned in contacting their Congress people? Yeah, absolutely. This is every time you think they've hit a new low, they manage to get out the shovel and go below it. Um, this bill is really a horror show of anti family, anti consumer provisions, one after the next, that rolls back the clock to before the crisis takes away all the guardrails that were put on to keep our economy safer, and as you mentioned, really kneecaps the consumer protections that were put in place by getting rid of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, basically, and, as you also mentioned, taking away one key provision, their entire authority to regulate payday, car title, and some of the worst predatory loan charts that are out there. So let's talk about each element. Uh, this is Robert Liz. Um, you talked about the guardrails taken off. So we know that the the worst uh, economic downturn since the Great Depression occurred because we deregulated Wall Street and they absolutely ran amok in a speculative frenzy. And obviously that could happen again. And in fact, progressives like us think we should have gone even further, that this was really a first step. I mean, you'd really need to probably break up uh, some of the big banks as well uh, to go further. But they want to change, uh, my understanding, and you'd have detail, the liquidity requirement. So I don't understand why on earth we'd want to create unsafe financial institutions, particularly at a time right now when there's no rated stock market, and we could certainly have another crash like we did if we, if we, if we, if we repeat the errors of the past here and deregulate. Uh, is that, is that, am I right to be concerned about that, Liz? Absolutely. We, and you're right. There if this was a first step to making the economy and, and Wall Street work for Main Street um, and make it safe. This rolls that back. One of the other provisions that it does is a very common sense thing called the Volcker Rule. What that said is banks shouldn't be allowed and aren't allowed right now to gamble on the on Wall Street with federally guaranteed money, your federally guaranteed deposits. Can't mix that. If I put my paycheck in, they shouldn't be going over and acting like hedge funds, gambling it in the in Wall Street. That removes those and says, go for it. Go back to that incredibly risky behavior that basically brought our economy down. It also gets rid of some of the very commonsensical 
reforms to mortgages, um, to making sure that mortgages that are written are safe, that they're not taking advantage of people, and that they're not fraudulent. Um, those are just some of the headline things that this does. It's really crazy. So, Liz, and before we get to the consumer protection piece, which is also important, mm-hmm. in terms of the economic stability piece, who is for this? Is there a public outcry uh, wanting this, or where is this all coming from? There's a really important word that you used in there, public outcry. No, uh, there's a lot of backroom outcry for this. There's a lot of money-changing hands for this. Uh, the main sponsor, Jeb Hemsterling, who's the chair of the Financial Services Committee, and he's from down in Texas, um, he's received over $7 million from Wall Street just in his career. Um, and if you look through, it's just one after another after another. So it's really big banks, um, mid-sized banks the hedge funds, the debt collectors, the payday lenders, um, they're smart enough to know this is not what people want. Um, so they're doing it behind closed doors and saying, you know, this is the, you know, we want more. And let's be clear, in 2016, banks were the, their highest profitability year ever. They're not hurting. You know, they're putting out a story about banks are really hurting and consumers need this amorphous choice. Um, but this is all about more, more, more. So let's talk about consumer protections. In the, in the Great Recession, uh, the banks were bailed out. Uh, the big stockbroking firms were, were, were bailed out, right? But then consumers who were sold fraudulent loans lost their homes, and they were disproportionately African-American and Latino consumers who had just been able to move up the ladder enough to, to get their first home, things like that. And they were financially devastated more than anyone else. In, in this uh, in the recession, and so, uh, what kind of consumer regulations are being repealed here, and who the, who on earth would be for that? Right. So some of the specific things that caused just the mortgage crisis, and as you know, as you know, and everybody out there um, listening knows, it's a, there was a lot of different things that went wrong. Um, let's just let's talk about let's talk about two. One of them is people were sold mortgages that they couldn't afford with with bonds hidden in them. So they were sold mortgages. They were told, here's the payment. It's a payment you can afford. People said, okay, I can do that. And then one year down the road, three months down the road, the payment shoots up and shoots up and shoots up. These are these hidden bombs and mortgages. You can't do that anymore. The Choice Act would repeal that and make it so that they could go out and do those kinds of loans again. They make money when they sell them and gamble them on Wall Street. And as we just said, they'll be gambling with your money to do that. Um, that's the kind of insanity. Another one is there were, you know, the other thing that's happening today when we're recording is some some good theater up at the Hill in in Congress with Comey testifying. There's There's some great imagery from back when the crisis was happening, and they paraded the regulators in front, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the FDIC, um, all these different groups, and said, why didn't you catch this? Why didn't you see this coming? And one after another, they shrugged their shoulders. It wasn't really my job. It wasn't my job. This bill takes us back to this crazy back and forth of regulators where there isn't just one regulator watching the store anymore, like the Consumer Financial Protection does, but it adds in an alphabet soup of groups of regulators that can get captured by by the banks and no buck stops here. I mean, it's amazing, given that the public would not want this. It just shows in a lot of ways how 
uh, Washington works and how conservative politics works, as we have conservative control, that they will just do the bidding of the finance industry, even if it's not in the finance industry's interest, because this stuff ultimately will cost them a lot of money down the road. It's just the whole thing's amazing. But can you talk a little bit about payday lending? Because really it's amazing with, with, uh, with, with jobs paying less and less, the fastest growing jobs are all poverty wage jobs, that our solution to people not being able to pay their bills is to allow them to be preyed upon by predatory lenders and they wanna remove what limited authority, they haven't outlawed payday lending, They've simply uh, set, put in a requirement, as I understand it, uh, that Consumer Finance Debt Protection Administration has, uh, that the payday lender has to actually be able to show that the person could pay it back. Right. Um, it's, something as extreme as that, right? Um, no, you, you're absolutely right. And the payday lending portions really get to your question of, or to your comment about people don't want this. The polling on payday lending you ask anybody, you know, all I have to do is go to church or the store or ask your neighbors. Everybody understands these are predators. They have a 70 to 80 percent disapproval rate. And yet this bill goes in and it explicitly says, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, we are taking away your authority to regulate payday car title and online and installment payday lending. Um, it's really naked. It's not saying, you know, it's not even tweaking the regulation. It's just saying you can't do it. Um, it's, it's enough. It reminds me of here in Wisconsin when one of Scott Walker's, his first bill on alleged tort reform to reduce the alleged burden of lawsuits uh, had provisions that, that essentially removed the ability to sue when there's wrongful death in nursing homes. And, of course, we knew that was incredibly unpopular, and the only reason he would want to do that is because of the nursing home industry, despite the fact uh, elder abuse in nursing homes and wrongful death there is obviously highly unpopular. So it seems it reminds me of that. It's very similar, and I'm just going to say, it, they really, it's an endless list, but I want to slip in one more that this does that sort of seems on that scale, where a new rule just came into being uh, that says your investment advisor, the person who's, who's working for you to help you figure out your retirement savings, um, has to actually represent your interests. Again, pretty simple, straightforward stuff. The person who's working for you has to work for you. They're removing that rule so that your investment advisor can offer you products, can recommend things to you that make him or her profit over doing the right thing for your retirement account. It's basically saying we're going to we're allow you to call advice, to call a commercial advice. Nobody except somebody trying to take advantage someone trying to save for retirement. What's interesting, Liz, is, is that they say that, they're, that they're, this is a bit of storing choice. So they're saying letting someone sell an annuity that is a complete ripoff to a senior is, is choice for the senior, right? Right. Uh, make America great again. Liz, if people want to get involved, obviously this may ram through the House today, but I assume this has, the Senate has to take this up. Um, I assume we need people to get in touch with their Congress members. Absolutely. We, um, we have a tool uh, on People's Action. If you go to our Facebook page, People's Action or People's Action Institute, we have a tool that's a click-to-call that will help you get through to that. You can also just call the main switchboard or look online for yours and say no to choice, no to the Choice Act. Um, as you say, it's, it's very likely, given the makeup of the House, that it will pass today. Um, but we need – it's really important that, especially the – 
folks in the Senate and the folks who are running against see that they're not going to get away with this under the radar. Well, we will put links to those on our webpage. Liz, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, thanks to, to everyone in the People's Action Network for uh, standing up against uh, this rollback of uh, Wall Street. Thanks, sir. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. So welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the show that our panelist, Jorna Taylor, uh, was not going to be with us for the whole show, but she was able to get on the phone and spend a couple minutes with us uh, talking about uh, Paul Ryan. But uh, Jorna, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks. Sorry that I can't be there in the studio, but I've got a uh, banged up heat line. Yeah, no. Uh, obviously, we talk a lot about your horses. That's uh, not good news. Is your is is it George? Uh, who's... It is the infamous George. He has uh, scraped up his face. He's he's gonna make it, but he needs a little TLC. He's oh. missing me since I've been busy with Pride Fest lately. Well, we'll get. I want you to talk more about Pride Fest a little bit later. But first, we had to have you on since you are a resident Paul Ryan expert um, to talk <laughs> to talk about how Paul Ryan now is actually become a target nationally within Democratic Party circles uh, uh, next year. He's up, obviously, as all uh, House members are up every two years, and a number of candidates have jumped in. This obviously has to have your attention. Well, it certainly does, because, you know, if my if my good friend Paul Nalen, the Truth Resurrection, would have just won this, you know, we wouldn't <laughs> be having this conversation. Um, but as we've watched Paul Ryan struggle through the first few months of the Trump administration and have a lot of false starts, frankly, and a lot of promises that he's just not going to be able to keep, there have been a number of different incredibly credible candidates who are starting to talk their name in the ring for the 1st Congressional District. And from what I'm hearing, these campaigns are being run by, you know, real professionals who have a track record of winning and of electing really great people, and that these candidates are putting their nose to the grindstone to make the tough decisions and to hold Paul Ryan accountable. Look, even if we're not successful in putting a Democrat into office in the first BDE this time around, the district is swinging. People are paying attention, and we are building. You know, we Democrats, we progressives, are building a groundswell of of a movement in the first CD, unlike we ever have before, and and that's exciting, especially as we look toward twenty twenty. Yeah, we've seen Paul Ryan the target of a number of activities. Certainly, us at Citizen Action, uh, we've targeted him around health care, but uh, a number of local groups and uh, uh, other organizations have really gone after Ryan. And this is the first time where he's really been nationalized at a way, even though he may have been running for uh, vice president, him as sort of a leader uh, and, and being tied to Trump. That seems to be one of the X factors here that uh, he's basically, you know, having to sort of do the bidding of uh, President Trump. And that appears to be providing a, a real problem for him in his home district. Is, is that part of the analysis here? Well, I think the interesting thing to me is that he still hasn't felt enough pressure to 
spend time in the district, but he's, he's going to have to. And he's still out, you know, raising money in different states. He's still out doing Trump spinning. And if anything, this is going to force him to have to actually come home and answer to his constituents. You know, you referenced some of the events that are taking place in the district, Matt, and I saw one on Facebook. I think it was a picture with State Representative Chris Taylor from Madison, who was down there with a cardboard cutout of the good congressman from the first. So, you know, people are starting to take notice in general, not just Democrats, that he's he's not around. Yeah, and look, he's the architect of the Trump health care plan, which is wildly unpopular. It has 17% support, and it's become a huge, huge issue. And so, really, you've got got to begin to wonder whether the conservative strategy of promising one thing and doing another, remember he said that no one would be worse off with their health care plan, um, is going to work when we have an ideologue like him who Ayn Randish thinks people actually should be on their own on health care, though promises the opposite, and then works openly to take health care away from 23 million people and restore pre-existing addition discrimination and radically change Medicaid that would undermine our Badger Care program and uh, support for seniors, uh, long-term care for seniors and people with disabilities, among many others. And so it really does at some point become a thing where it, it doesn't matter if he's slick and he has lots of money and uh, et cetera, et cetera, that he's literally a threat to his own constituents. So, Jorna, one thing that I you know, that seems pretty obvious here is we got now three candidates that have jumped in and actually from, I think, different areas of the district. And as you mentioned, uh, some of them even having a significant uh, support. And Wall Street Journal actually did an article about uh, one of the uh, labor advocates, uh, Randy Bryce, who's running. So this is all very, very fundamentally different. And uh, I think, Robert, you brought up this idea that um, he's had this, he's been able to sort of run as the smart guy, the policy guy, but yet his first really big rollout of policy has been completely uh, not popular. So so we do have a vulnerable Paul Ryan. So, Jordan, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on Paul Ryan, but I really want you uh, to let us, our listeners know a little bit more about Pride Fest, too. Oh, Pride Fest. I don't think I'll see Paul Ryan there. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe you should bring um, a cardboard cutout of him. <laughs> I don't even think that would necessarily be welcome. Um, <laughs> so, listeners, long-time listeners may know that I am now on my third year uh, serving on the Milwaukee Pride Board of Directors, and that is, we are the folks that bring you Pride Fest. Um, Pride Fest is, you know, it's the festival that kicks off this season of festivals here in Milwaukee, and it is a phenomenal organization to be a part of. Um, we are 100% volunteer-run. There are no paid staff, and let me tell you, it is a full-time job, but it's a full-time job that is a labor of love for sure. This year, we are so excited because it's our 30th anniversary of Pride Fest in Milwaukee, and that's just cool in general. Um, it will be my 21st year attending Pride Fest <clears throat> because, I mean, I'm only 21, so I went as a... Your season. <laughs> But, you know, we have over 150 uh, musical acts on a total of eight different stages throughout the Summerfest grounds in Milwaukee with an emphasis on local talent. We have a Milwaukee record is doing a stage again for the second year now. We have Betty Who from an Australian pop star on Friday night, uh, 10,000 Maniacs on Sunday, 
I'm sorry, on Saturday and on Sunday, we have Todrick Hall, who is a Broadway star. But more importantly, listeners, you should come down to see Harmar Superstar, yeah. Matt and I. Yes, that's going to be a great show. Bonnie and I are definitely going. I cannot wait. He is absolutely spectacular. But if I can just add real quick, um, it's not just about, you know, partying and listening to music at Pride Fest. There are all sorts of other things. You can learn about the history of the LGBTQ movement, not only in Milwaukee and Wisconsin, but nationally in our history project. You can hear talks at our Stonewall stage. In our health and wellness area, um, we provide free HIV testing for attendees, as well as education about all sorts of health care options from traditional to alternative health care. Um, there's a youth area. There's a children and families area with a carnival. I mean, it's not just a party. It is also a great place to bring your entire family. Well, that's part of the reason I wanted you to talk more about it. I, I thoroughly agree with that. Jorna? Thanks so much for uh, taking the time in spite of uh, your horse situation and, of course, all the work you're putting into Pride Fest. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, and George appreciates your flexibility. Ah, yes. Well, we'll, (laughs) we will see you next week, Jorna. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So, Robert, before we go this week, I wanted to get your thoughts. I know um, we talked a bit about the job numbers on recent podcasts, but uh, some more Job numbers came out this week that continue to show Wisconsin is trailing the nation um, and struggling. Uh, but wanted to point out that the uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, as always, produced. It didn't take very long to produce an article essentially trying to wash that Walker should have any real accountability because there's virtually nothing he can do. And, of course, that is not true, obviously, when you have what now? How many years of, of uh, numbers that have radically changed under, under his uh, uh, administration and been unable, we've been unable to get out of the 30s. Uh, that's been like our highest ranking. Well, the Journal Sentinel editorial board in its sort of way wants to give him a pass and say that governors can't. Uh, influence the economy. He ran on his ability to influence it. So it's like if I ran about for mayor of Milwaukee one day on sunny days all the time, I think I'd be responsible if I couldn't deliver them. Even I assume the Journal Sentinel wouldn't write an op-ed that said it's unfair to critique him because, you know, people don't really affect whether there are sunny days. But then there's a relative thing where we're relatively worse. And by the way, it's not just running. He runs around talking about the Wisconsin comeback, talking about the low unemployment rate, not talking about how many bad jobs are being produced or the fact that how we have a large number of people not in the workforce at all. But in addition, he's put... He has a, a, a multi-billion dollar over time giveaway to manufacturers, which is, uh, which is underwriting, which is literally um, under, you know, taking money away from every essential function, public service and, and function of government. And last year, we lost 3,800 manufacturing jobs and are doing much worse than the national average on manufacturing jobs. Seems to me that any candidate, we're talking about candidates for governor, uh, should be able to make a very strong case that, that Walker is both a failure and he's a low-wage governor. Well, we'll put a link to that article so you can see it. There's actually some content in there from Mark Levine that actually raises what you says say, Robert, uh, and certainly. Uh, you're right, Robert. If, if they had that every article that they would print where Walker would talk about his role, they should put a tagline that says, "How unfortunately, Governor Walker has no ability to impact the economy. And, but they don't put Put that in the articles as if, though they state as if it's a fact uh, in but he is, is their editorial policy. He is in closing, Walker, also now for that 
bat crazy constitutional amendment, uh, constitutional convention where the right wingers will go to go and, ha- and be our founding fathers and destroy our fundamental laws. So it's for that this week. Ah, it's always a good time here in Wisconsin. With that, though, we got to get out of here. We thank you for listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our producer, Brian Woldridge, who makes it happen every week. We also want to thank Liz Ryan Murray from People's Action joining us and Katie Dunn from Citizen Action, our new Healthcare for All organizer. Thank you much. We'll see you next week at the Battleground Wisconsin.